You're listening to the EdUp Worldwide podcast in partnership with the Star Scholars Network. I'm your host Rajika Pandari, where each week I bring you my take on the intersections between education, culture, and migration. This podcast is inspired by my recent book, America Calling: A Foreign Student in a Country of Possibility, which reveals how education connects the world. Conversations about why education is important in opening our hearts and minds to the world have never been more important, as countries and individuals have increasingly turned inwards and away from each other. So join me each week as we go behind the scenes for illuminating and deeply personal conversations with diverse global voices, international students, international education experts, migrants and immigrants. authors and artists as we explore the varied ways in which the world connects through education hello everyone if you've been listening to the show this month then you know that i've been covering a range of immigration related and refugee issues this month because june is immigrant heritage month in the us And as we approach the end of the month, I'm delighted to bring you another episode with someone for whom all of the issues that we talk about on this show, being an international student, being an immigrant, being displaced and having to leave your homeland, and finding your place, voice and identity as a woman of color are all lived experiences. My guest is Esther Benjamin, the CEO and Executive Director of World Education Services or WES, a non-profit social enterprise dedicated to helping international students, immigrants, and refugees achieve their educational and career goals in the US and Canada. A first-generation immigrant to the US, Esther is a fearless leader. whose work has spanned multiple sectors and world regions including serving under two previous US administrations and overseeing the Peace Corps program in almost 80 countries. In today's episode we hear Esther's advice on how all of us can create and scale social impact. She also shares how an organization like WES is creating social impact for refugee and immigrant communities through its philanthropic efforts and last but certainly not the least we talk about how Esther's personal journey from Sri Lanka to the US has shaped everything that she has gone on to do in her life and career Esther welcome to the Worldwise podcast. I am so delighted to get you on the show and you know you're someone whom I've admired for a very very long time as a woman leader in our field and also as a, a fellow South Asian and also a woman of color. So I'm just so so delighted to have you here today. Thank you so much for the kind welcome, the kind invitation. What a pleasure to be with you, Rajika. Uh it's been such an honor to get to know you over the past couple of years and uh thank you for inviting me today. 
Thank you so much. Now, you know, I want to jump um, right into your career trajectory. And I think one of the really amazing things uh, about you is that you've worked across several different sectors. You worked in the public sector, the private sector, the civil society sector. And in fact, you've served under two previous administrations, including the Obama administration. So my question is that, is there a common thread that runs through your work that links all of these different experiences? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a question I get asked often. And uh, I would say that the common thread that runs through all of this work is my desire to drive impact at scale. Mm-hmm. And often when we think about social impact work, we think that You do this work in nonprofit organizations or in government. And to the contrary, you can drive impact, whether it's in your own country or globally, you can drive impact at scale Mm -hmm. by working in all of these sectors. And um, you're right, I worked in the Obama administration and earlier in the Clinton administration, I worked in the UN and the World Bank. Uh, That was my public sector life. And in in business, I worked at uh, uh, Grant Thornton and at Laureate Education and spent then many years in nonprofits such as International Youth Foundation and now at WES. Um, And it's just been a privilege because um, what that set of experiences has enabled me to do in the course of having a tri-sector career Mm -hmm. is to do two things. I've acquired a lot of different types of skills. You know, understanding how to work in government, whether it's, you know, understanding how you work in government at the highest levels or understanding how governments convene other governments Mm -hmm. and governments can teach you how to work bilaterally and multilaterally and how to think about policy and how to change course for a country. You learn Mm -hmm. a lot from government in that way. And working in business, I got to understand how do you do do strategy and planning and and management and operations. And and most of all, how do you execute a plan with Mm -hmm. excellence? And Mm -hmm. how do you achieve results? Um, How do you access private capital? to drive impact in education and health. And and in nonprofits, I learned how to build partnerships at the local level and regional and global levels. So so this tri-sector work enabled me not only to drive impact at scale, but to accumulate a set of skills and tools for your toolbox, if you will. And then as I continue to do the work that I do, having those perspectives helps me to know how to work with partners in various sectors. So the theme that drink, uh, links all of this is driving impact at scale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is such a great way to describe it. And, um, you know, I think that it's also if one were to 
turn that into a sort of advice to others in the field, it would be to sort of go out and try and have that range of experience, because you're right, you're then working across sort of, uh, you know, macro issues and large scale issues right down to the grassroots level through more nonprofit work. So um, I really loved how you how you describe that sort of that common thread, but with all of these different experiences really driving at um, at impact. So um, so let's stick with your most current experience. So um, you joined World Education Services, or WES, as it's known, in June 2019. And that was just about nine months before COVID-19 hit. So I'm wondering, what were some of the most challenging moments in leading West through the pandemic, and especially at a time when you yourself were still relatively new in your role, right? Absolutely. I was so new. Not only was I new, I was taking over the leadership of the organization from an extraordinary individual, Miriam Asafa, who ran mm -hmm. West for a very long time, 36 years, and had a an incredible career of developing and leading this organization. So, so I had nine months before the pandemic to take mm -hmm. over from this extraordinary woman, no pressure. Uh, you know, it's incumbent upon mm -hmm. me to um, continue the great legacy of an amazing leader. And you're right, I had nine months before the pandemic hit. Little did I expect that that's what awaited me. I had just enough time to get to know my board of directors. I had a couple of board meetings under my belt. I was getting to know the senior leadership team. I was getting to know our staff. We have about 400 staff in mm -hmm. the US and Canada. And I had over those nine months made it a point to go to our Toronto office once a month and to really get to know my colleagues there. So I was well past my 90-day plan of <laughs> onboarding, but hardly settled in. And uh, there we were when the whole world faced this moment. And of course, we all know what it felt like. And for us, it was closing to offices and shifting to remote work, which uh, thanks to many of our incredibly able colleagues, we were able to do this very seamlessly. And I have to say, we were working from home quite effectively within about a week. Mm -hmm. We had the technology, we had the infrastructure, and there we were going. But what happened is that at that stage, we were doing most of our work in evaluating credentials from around the world. world involves communicating with universities around the world. And we have mm -hmm. relationships with about 50,000 educational institutions worldwide. And we would verify these credentials by paper, by sending mm -hmm. mail back and forth. And there we were, both of our offices closed and we had thousands of DHL and other packages coming in. We had no way to get to them. That meant that there were thousands of people who were 
wanting our services mm-hmm. and we couldn't get to these paper packages which mm-hmm. actually led to a very thoughtful process with our team to find some partners and vendors who would help us digitize all of these paper files that came in and just then we said you know and we had already started saying this is not a way to we want to continue to run this organization and you know you know that universities around the world are sometimes slow to move with mm-hmm. changes in technology and universities had been slow to move with uh, online learning for examples and we really used 2020 to digitize not only what was coming in in paper form, but to start a way of receiving document verification from universities around the world in a digital manner through API integrations or Mm -hmm. in another way. So Mm -hmm. pre-pandemic, we received about 7% of documents digitally and within about nine months into the pandemic, about 75 to 80% of the work started being done digitally, which was Mm -hmm. phenomenal. We had wanted to do this for years. And that was the moment that it happened. And our Mm -hmm. team was just extraordinary in, in meeting the challenges. And this also led to dramatic improvement in processing times of our Mm -hmm. services, which then led to really exceptional financial results as well. And we served close to half a million people that year just through credential evaluation services. And that also enabled us to have the additional financial ability to invest in social impact, to do Mm -hmm. even more grant making, to invest even more in our social impact programs across North America. And so what was an incredibly challenging moment resulted uh, nine months, a year in, with solid results from a business perspective, from the perspective of serving those we serve and driving social impact as well. Mm -hmm. That's really an incredible story. And I do want to get to the social impact piece in just a minute. But before we do that, um, I have a clarifying question. So am I correct in my understanding that um, there's actually been a big global effort underway, and this is prior to the pandemic, to actually digitize transcripts and records, but that it was really, the, as you described the pandemic, um, you know, that's that's really um, accelerated everything, whether it's online learning or like you described, you know, the actual digitization of records. But th- this has been sort of a need that's been around for a while, right? It is a huge need, and there's a long way to go, Rajika. Um, I, I let me be really clear that what we have digitized is the ability of universities and world education services mm-hmm. to be able to send documents between each other 
Um, there's been no global effort across universities to uh, enable the availability of transcripts or degrees fully digitally. We are years from that, but what we have achieved is the ability of universities and registrar's offices and our office to be able to communicate in a secure um, manner that is registrar's office to our office so that we are not sending paper documents to verify and authenticate between us. So that is what was what has happened. But in terms of where the future could go, there is a long way to go. And ultimately, of course, we want graduates to be in control of their records. We are a right. long way away from that, but we made some progress in how WES can serve graduates from around the world to verify, authenticate, and determine the equivalency of their qualifications. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And thank you for clarifying that. And indeed, there's a, there's a long way to go. Um, so I want to pick up on the thread that you began to talk about, which is all of the investments and social impact that Wes has been making. And of course, there's so much that we could talk about in terms of uh, your organization's work. But uh, what I thought I'd uh, focus in on during our time together is uh, the relatively new Mariam Asefa Fund, uh, named after the wonderful Mariam Asefa, your predecessor, whom you mentioned a little while ago, who led uh, West for 36 years and uh, has indeed been an amazing role model and leader for many of us uh, in the field. So the fund is named after her and it was launched some years ago. Can you share more about the fund and its importance? Absolutely. And it is indeed a privilege to name this effort after uh, Miriam. And I saw her um, just uh, last week, actually, mm -hmm. and I saw her a couple months ago. I asked Miriam, I hope you're, I, I said, I hope you're proud of what we have done in your honor. And she was so um, proud and glad to say that uh, we have taken this initiative beyond what she imagined that it could be. So that makes me really proud. Uh, it is an appropriate way to honor a great leader in our field. Mm -hmm. um, so we've made a lot of progress. It's exactly three years ago that we launched the fund um, in June of 2019. And as you know, WES is a social enterprise, and, and we're now working at this interesting intersection of higher education, immigration, and workforce development. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you also know, Rajika, our vision is that everyone is able to put their education, experience, and skills to work anywhere in the world. And our mission is to help people learn, work, and thrive in new places. And we also want to help society to recognize the value of people's education and experience. Um, you know that historically, we've had a core product, which I mentioned just uh, a few minutes ago, um, this product of credential 
evaluation where we Mm -hmm. authenticate and evaluate international academic credentials and provide an equivalency to U.S. and Canadian education. And our core product generates revenue and any surpluses from that operation are then reinvested in our mission through our philanthropic investments and social impact programs. And at a time when so many in the social sector are constrained financially, our social enterprise model gives us so much flexibility to proactively drive social change and be responsible, responsive to such a rapidly changing world. And mm-hmm. so the, the West Merriam Acefa Fund is the philanthropic arm of WES. And we're doing both grant making and impact investing. And the fund supports catalytic efforts. And these are focused on building a more inclusive economy for immigrants and refugees in the U.S. and Canada. Mm -hmm. And in this short period of time, we've deployed as of the end of last year, nearly 15 million U.S. dollars to uh, about 90 organizations in the U.S. and Canada. And let me also note that if you include the work of the fund and the other social impact programs, we are now working with 300 leading organizations that work in in this space of inclusive economic opportunities for immigrants and refugees, 300 organizations. It's a pretty phenomenal mm-hmm. place to be. And the West Miriam Asafa Fund is focusing on some key pillars. And we, we say our pillars are opportunity, wealth, power, and justice. And would it be helpful for me to share some examples of what we're doing in these areas, Rajika? Yeah, sure. Why don't you share an example or two? And that's, you know, just the numbers you've shared are, are so significant and clearly having such an impact. So, yeah, I think it would be great to hear an example. Yeah. So in the area of opportunity, it's about ensuring that immigrants and refugees can access training and and workforce programs and and also wraparound programs, uh, wraparound supports. And and this is all about making sure that those we serve can access meaningful employment. And and a really wonderful partnership we have is with, uh, with a group called Building Skills Partnerships, and uh, they work in in California, where 61% of property service workers are in the state are immigrants. And and we worked with them on a certification program, which will help workers in that sector to access even more meaningful jobs in the future. And, And 
another example in the pillar that we call wealth. It's, it's really about asset building and ensuring access to financial resources. And in March of this year, we began a partnership with a group called Community Credit Lab. And uh, they are, uh, we're, we provided a recoverable, recoverable grant so they could pilot new financial lending programs designed with input and direct from local lending partners. Um, I'll share one more example. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in the area of power, there we say we're investing in leadership capacity and allowing workers to advocate and, and organize. And we're working with a group, for example, called Pioneer Valley Workers Center. And there we are working together to harness the collective power of immigrant workers who are leading grassroots campaigns for food chain workers to focus on wage protections and so on. So those are a few of the examples. So, um, and in the area of justice, we have a really interesting partnership with Echoing Green focused mm -hmm. on racial equity and immigrant justice and through all of these partnerships we are providing operating support we are really listening to our partners and and following their lead they know best how to drive this work and we are there to support and we are there to learn and share what we learn with other groups so we can truly build inclusive economies <clears throat> Thank you for sharing that um, and walking us through um, through what the fund does, but also the kind of impact it's having. And um, I think those all of those three examples you shared really also point to um, to the range of work and the range of impact that's possible um, through the fund. So, you know, you mentioned justice and that um, leads me to a question that I would love to ask you, which is that, you know, issues of diversity, access and inclusion, as you know, are front and center within every organization these days. So I would love to learn more about how does WES embody these principles and values as an organization beyond sort of, you know, you talked about the work of the fund, but what about WES itself as an organization? Absolutely. It's such an important question. And um, as you can imagine, when there's a new leader for an organization, an important uh, body of work is taking on a strategic plan. And so in 2020, not only were we navigating the pandemic, we were also developing a strategic plan. And we said that our plan for the next five years needs to be grounded in our values. And we turned that process over to our staff and said, what are the values that ground us? And as you can imagine, there were probably 50 different words and ideas that came to the, the forefront with staff leading the way. And we, in the end, together with our staff, our leadership, and our board of directors, we honed in on five values. And they were opportunity, inclusion, 
equity, enterprising, and expertise. So opportunity, mm. inclusion, equity, enterprising, and expertise. And we said that this is where our vision comes from. This is where our mission comes from. This is what grounds us in our goals for the future. So to answer your question, I'd like to go to three of the, the five values and how our staff decided to define these values. So we said in terms of opportunity, we said we open doors so people can build better futures. I love the mm -hmm. words that our colleagues chose. And when they went to define inclusion, my amazing colleagues came up with the definition that we become stronger, more creative, and more resilient when we embrace diversity. Mm -hmm. I love that. And then when they spoke about equity, my colleagues said, we uphold fairness and justice in our work and actions. So this is what grounds all of the work day in and day out. This is what we go back to. Mm -hmm. And our staff further said, yes, there's a lot of work to do to think about how we do this work externally, serving our, our um, the immigrants, refugees, and international students we serve. But first, let's turn inward and let's look at how we are as an organization internally. So our staff came together and formed what they call, what we call, the Racial Equity Anti-Oppression Committee, R-E-A-O, mm -hmm. Racial Equity Anti-Oppression Committee. And the staff are leading the way daily on how we should be, how we should behave internally. And there's a lot, lot of work to do there. And that is going to inform the way we think about how we show up in the world for international students, immigrants, and refugees, mm -hmm. the work we do on credential evaluation, we need to think about in the context of these values of inclusion, equity, and of course, justice. We need to think about who comes to us for these services from around the world. What is their experience as they look to be mobile worldwide? And a lot of work ahead. And this isn't a once and done effort. This is going to keep us busy for a long time to come. The work is just beginning, but we know what our foundation is and what grounds us. Mm -hmm. well, thank you for sharing that. And I also love that last principle, which is one that I haven't heard often in organizations. Um, and that's the one of uh, expertise. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, this is uh, really, really interesting. And I'll just say as sort of an observation that um, 
from sort of my own knowledge and interactions with the West over the years and from, you know, um, absorbing and using a lot of your research reports and materials and reading your annual reports, certainly um, the big takeaway for me has been that um, the principles and vision around diversity is not just in the work, but is also very much reflected in your people. So um, really, uh, you know, um, it's um, what you describe is just very powerful. Uh, thank you. The That expertise, um, you know, historically, I think our colleagues thought about the, the West approach as a gold standard. And that's something that we, we constantly sort of ask ourselves, you know, how do we continue to improve the way we do this work? And, and that goes for credential evaluation, but now it is also about expertise that we're developing as a social enterprise, as mm -hmm. a philanthropic initiative, as a set of social impact programs focused on economic inclusion. So that expertise is broadening and um, we are learning. We're a learning organization and we are learning from our partners. We are learning from deep engagement with our within our sector and ecosystem. So it is a work in progress. It is not an achievement, but a, a process that is long term. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You're listening to the EdUp WorldWise podcast, and my guest today is Esther Benjamin, Executive Director and CEO of World Education Services, or WES. So Esther, I want to change directions a little bit and learn more about you and have our listeners get to know you a little bit better. So let's start from the beginning. Um, I believe you immigrated to the U.S. from Sri Lanka and your father came to the U.S. as an international student. How did that early experience shape all that you went on to do, and especially the work that you do today, as you just described, leading an organization like WES, which opens the door for international students, refugees, and immigrants, both in the U.S. and Canada? Yes, I uh, I am an immigrant, and um, it, it was my father's uh, studies, graduate studies, that first brought the family to the United States. First came in, in 1976 when my father came for his master's degree, and, and then we returned to Sri Lanka where my father then led uh, a college uh, back in Sri Lanka. And then we came back again, and my father came back to earn his uh, PhD. And at that point, there was a civil war in the United, uh, in Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. um, and when my father, when we all came uh, that second time, uh, we were coming for my dad's doctorate, but we were also in many ways rather abruptly leaving a country. Mm -hmm at the, the start of a civil war that would continue for 30 years thereafter. And that has deeply influenced who I became and what my career became. Um, and let me say that 
my father was an international student and I was on an F2 visa in high school. Mm. And then I became an international student myself um, throughout my undergraduate studies and my graduate studies. And I was uh, on a student visa until 1993. So he was an international student. I was an international student. Um, I got my citizenship in 1998. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, um, it is interesting that I now work with World Education Services serving international students, immigrants, and refugees. And I feel like, well, I did have the experience mm -hmm. of being an international student. I did have the experience of being an immigrant. And having departed Sri Lanka in the way that we did, while I wasn't a refugee in a in an official kind of way, I had that experience as well. Mm -hmm. And I felt very strongly that my cousins and so many people in my original motherland um, didn't have many of the privileges I came to have. And so I always believe that to whom much is given, so much is expected. Mm -hmm. And that has been sort of my sense of obligation to pay it forward. And lived experience matters. Yes. And lived, <laughs> lived, I mean, you wrote a book about this. Uh, lived experience matters. And it's about the experience itself. And it's also about the choices that you make along that journey that gives you a body of knowledge that becomes mm -hmm. really relevant to your work. So in my work every day, I don't. I know pretty much what people are going through. That's right. I've, I've been through that myself. Now, I've had a career in business and, and at the highest levels of government, so I've been incredibly privileged. So when I got to age 49 and, and you know, had helped take a company public on, on NASDAQ, uh, and I left that organization a couple of years after it went public, I was very intentional about my next chapter. And there were a few different paths that I could have chosen, but I was very intentional in choosing to join Wes. Mm -hmm. I wanted to join Wes so that I could help make sure that people can learn, work, and thrive anywhere they end up in the world. So it absolutely informs where I am today and the sense of obligation, sense of commitment, passion, and service that I bring to the work every day, but all the while putting to good use all of the learnings I have from public, private, and civil society sectors of my career trajectory.
Mm -hmm. And so in many ways, it's really been the perfect confluence of, like you said, your lived experience um, for, um, you know, for all of those three groups, international students or refugees or immigrants, um, as well as, um, you know, everything that you've done professionally uh, up until this point in time. So um, clearly yeah. West has been a perfect home for, uh, for all of those uh, experiences. And I actually did not know that you were, uh, I knew about your father, but I did not know that you were a former international student. And uh, you're so right that there was so much uh, strife in Sri Lanka around those years that whether or not someone was sort of within the official category or, of a refugee, um, so many families were being displaced and um, and fleeing. So Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's... Um uh and and that conflict continues i'm a sri mm -hmm. lankan tamil mm -hmm. and so my family and so many people uh have been you know my especially those who never left the country they have been through you know three decades of suffering and it unfortunately continues to this day and weighs heavily uh on my mind and in my heart every day right 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 so, you know, you've shared with us sort of what your journey has been. And, um, you know, as I, I shared at the top of the conversation, you and I are both South Asian. Um, we belong to racially, we belong to minority groups in the U.S. So these are issues I think about often. So my question to you is that during um, all of your growth and this clear, successful and upward trajectory of uh, being a leader, what have been some of the setbacks and challenges uh, that you faced because perhaps because of being a woman and that to a woman of color? Yeah, you know, somehow when you look back, you start to it starts to fade um, some of those challenges along <laughs> the way because also along the way you had so many opportunities and mm -hmm. so many individuals that help you along the way, so many organizations that sponsor you and champion you along the way. But certainly there are so many step setbacks and challenges. Um, and, you know, I... I see that for others now coming along who are getting started. And I think those challenges are around resources and, and just, mm. you know, I remember being in graduate school and working as many jobs as I could. And I remember um, having very limited um, resources and, and trying to make it on my own without being a burden on my family that was also supporting uh, other family members back in Sri Lanka who certainly mm -hmm. we had to support. So I tried to the extent possible to, to um, build my own resource base along the way and you know, I think all of us know who've been international students what it's like to have $85 in the bank and, and it it's it's the fifth of the month and you got to make it till the end of the month. <laughs> I've yeah. been there. I've been yeah. there. It's also uh, about sort of not having the 
the the social and professional networks as as you're getting started now mm-hmm. today today fast forward to today i'm privileged to know this incredible group of people all over the world i did not start out in life with that network and that was carefully um developed through just meaningful working relationships, but that wasn't always there. It was developed over time. I also didn't have the knowledge and familiarity as I was getting started of what an international career could look like and, mm-hmm. you know, all the options available for me. Now, I've come a long way, but I didn't do it alone. A lot of people helped me along the way. And I think one of the biggest challenges for me is being in rooms where um, there isn't anyone else who (laughs) looks like me. And I think I experienced that the most in business Mm -hmm. where I was often the only woman in the room, the Mm -hmm. only person of color in the room. And those were incredibly challenging moments, Um, but I navigated them. And uh, there is a certain sense of fearlessness you've got Mm -hmm. to bring to this. And you don't go anywhere without that fearlessness. And I have cultivated resilience. But in order to cultivate resilience, you also just have to have this audacity to be in those rooms and this Mm -hmm. just boldness that, I'm going to enter this room with all of the preparation that I can bring to the table. I'm going to know know things inside and out and contribute in ways unimagined. But you do have to be fearless, absolutely fearless, when mm-hmm. time after time you're in very competitive environments where no one else looks like you. So mm. be fearless. Yeah, no, that you know is such, <laughs> yes, yes, I, I add, but what I'll add to that also is it takes, I think, I don't know if this was your experience or maybe you were different, but it takes a while to build up to that point where you feel fearless and where you feel you found your voice and um, can really sort of bring your voice and your personality and who you are to um, to the table with authenticity. So I think that that takes Absolutely. it. At least for me, it took a long time to um, to build up to that. Um, and you know, in my in my in my book, I refer to it as a cumulative disadvantage for many of us, where it's that you know, um, in my case, I came to the U.S. Uh, it sounds like much after you did, so. It was, you know, being female, so certainly being a woman, being very clearly, you know, being a a clear foreigner, both in looks and sound. Um, And the third piece being, you know, belonging to a minority uh, or a group, a racial group that in the U.S. is considered a minority group. So it's the sort of intersection of all of those factors um, that drives the experience. Uh, And I think you were sort of alluding to that, too, in in, in different ways. so if we were to take that and turn it into actionable advice for younger women who are starting out today, and particularly women of color, and I think one of the pieces of advice you offered was around be fearless. What 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 would be a couple of other pieces of advice uh, that you would uh, 
want to leave women with who are listening to this? Yeah, you know, I, I think this advice probably goes for everyone. Um, I always kind of return to this quote, um, and it's it's by uh, a writer, an American writer named Frederick Buchner, and he writes beautifully about vocation. And he says that vocation is the place where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need. Mm. Again, vocation is the place where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need. So I think mm. each of us has to find kind of what makes us enormously happy mm-hmm. in terms of the work we do. And how does that intersect with the with the enormous needs in the world? And And you want your work, your life's work, your vocation to be at that intersection. And even as you define your own vocation and revisit that question over and over, um, lived experience matters. Um, Mm -hmm. It really matters. And, you know, over the years, I've kind of been asked this question and, um, I give a couple of sets of advice and I say just really be optimistic and and focus on what is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like to say don't strive for success. Go forward with a contribution mindset. What can I contribute versus how do I achieve success? Mm-hmm. Then I always talk about just know your business. And, um, you know, many people have written about how many hours it takes to become an expert in your field. And that's what it takes every time you start a new job. You have to put in the hours to really know the business that you're in, the realm that you're working in, and to go deep and wide in Mm -hmm. that particular chapter that you find yourself. I'm also big on just thinking really big and dreaming big. And people who have worked with me say that um, I tend to push people very hard no harder than I push myself. Mm -hmm. And I think big because we can achieve great things in the world. Our world is so broken. And I think we have to think big and dream big and and get it done and execute to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So my colleagues always say, um, (laughs) working together has been the, the greatest growth, the greatest contribution and the most work they've done. And that's just what I bring to to the work. And I encourage people to think big, dream big, execute well, and do that every day. I also believe in just surrounding myself with great people. Mm -hmm. Um, What a gift it is to be intentional about the people we're around the people we surround ourselves with, the people we pull along with us and that we're side by side with. And last but never least, just be of absolutely impeccable character and integrity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Those are all such wonderful words of uh, wisdom, Esther, and so much in there from uh, sort of aspiring to um, some of the bigger qualities in life of work and leadership, but also really actionable things like, you know, how do you acquire expertise and the importance of expertise. So those, yeah, those are just some really, really amazing um, takeaways. So you um, almost set me up really well for my last question for you because you <laughs> quoted a writer and that was a beautiful, beautiful quote. And uh, I know you're an avid reader and I know that our listeners can't see this, but as we have a conversation, you have a huge um, bookshelf right behind you. And I remember that you once said to me that your dream vacation would be to unwind on a beautiful houseboat in Kerala, reading a book and ideally by a South Asian woman author. And I've never forgotten that because we were exchanging <laughs> notes on reading and writing. And I think at that time I was immersed in, in writing my own book uh, when you mentioned this to me. So what are you reading these days? Well, first of all, America Calling, <laughs> your very own book. Thank you for this incredible contribution uh, to our field. So uh, I hope all of our readers have read your book. So thank you for that gift. Oh, thank uh, you. <laughs> thank you. And that's not the reason why I asked this question, but thank you. <laughs> um, I, you know, that ideal holiday in Kerala, I took that holiday. Oh. And I think uh, it was... Uh, a little over a decade ago, I yeah. did between jobs, took that mm. holiday to Kerala on a houseboat and read about six South Asian women authors, uh, books of uh, uh, works of fiction. Um, but right now, um, I, you know, like you probably, I always have a range of books on my nightstand and most recently finished a wonderful book called Power for All by mm. Julie Batilana. And it's a it's a great book about uh, interdependence and impermanence and how we have a vision for the future um, that is really about the collective interest of um, society. Fantastic mm -hmm. book by a professor um, at Harvard, Power for mm -hmm. All. I also, on the lighter side, read a book <laughs> which you might have seen the little book of Hugo, which is mm. the danish way to live well oh i've and heard about it yes, it is yes, a yes, wonderful yes. book yeah. and i've enjoyed many wonderful trips to denmark over the years and my son actually gave me the little book of Hugo, mm. uh, which is great uh, so i finished that and um I'm I'm currently also reading Indra Nui's book, oh, My Life yes. in Full. Yeah, mm -hmm. had a chance to spend an evening with her late last year, and um, she has been uh, a mentor from afar. I have not mm -hmm. known her personally, but I'm reading her book. I'm also reading a book on 
Emergence Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown, and it's really about shaping change for the future. And this was a book recommended by my daughter. My kids are always hmm. passing books on to me. We pass each other books. And the final book um, I'll note is a friend of mine, and I said, we have got to read more fiction. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading a book um, called Liar's Dictionary by Ellie Williams. And it's a, a national best bestseller. And it's about someone who's uh, writing or editing an encyclopedic dictionary. And he starts to make some unauthorized fictitious entries, <laughs> which are discovered a hundred years later by someone who then tries to figure out the threads of the fictitious entries. So that's what I'm reading right now. Wow, that is that is quite a range of uh, of books, quite a range of books and some wonderful ones uh, in there. And uh, yes, I'll say that like for many others, Indra Nui is also, you know, such a role model for many of us for all that she's done and accomplished. And if I'm not mistaken, also a former international student to the U.S. So. Absolutely. To, she yeah. came to Yale for her um, master's. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And I think I mentioned her in my book as well, among sort of that cast of, uh, you know, stars in the U.S. who are former international students. So um, thank you for mentioning those amazing books. And uh, Esther, I really, really want to thank you for bringing all of your wisdom and insights and passion to, you know, for the work that you do to our conversation today. So thank you so much. Rajika, thank you so much for having me as a guest. Thank you for all you do. And uh, I'm grateful for all your contributions to our field. Thank you, Esther. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you've been enjoying and recommending the show. I'm your host, Rajika Bhandari. As always, please like us, follow us, and most importantly, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. All information about the show and show notes are available on my website at www.rajakabhandari.com podcast. And if you'd like to delve more into the sorts of themes we talk about on this show, be sure to get a copy of my new book, America Calling a Foreign Student in a Country of Possibility available wherever books are sold and through my website and also subscribe to my newsletter. See you next week when I will be back with another conversation about how education helps open our hearts and minds to the world.